1: There are those of us who function primarily out of our analytical mind. Others of us are governed by our intuition and are moved to act from our gut feelings. Is there some other force that can assist us in finding trustworthy guidance in our lives? When life's essence is changed, to what can we reliably turn to help us navigate its twists and turns? Our guest today, Ellen Tadd, has some practical advice for those seeking to approach life in a more balanced, spiritually informed manner. Ellen Tad is an internationally known clairvoyant counselor and educator who has been teaching for more than 40 years. She's widely respected for the integrity of her work, the accuracy of her perceptions and guidance, and the clarity and usefulness of her teaching. Her work has been supported by the Edgar Casey Foundation, the Marion Institute, Deepak Chopra, and the Institute of Noetic Sciences. She's lectured and taught at colleges, universities, hospitals, and community groups. She's the author of several books, including The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on Earth. Join us for the next hour as we explore tangible tools to help us better navigate the inevitable highs and lows life brings with our guest, Ellen Tad. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Ellen,
2: welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be with you. I am just delighted
1: to have you here. And I'd I'd love for you to begin to share with us some of your background. As I mentioned in the introduction, you're clairvoyant and you've been teaching for many years. So what is some of your background? Where did you, how did you come to that?
2: Well, as a child, I had experiences. I saw faces in the dark, I had out-of-body experiences where I would be floating on the ceiling and I would see my body asleep on the bed. And these types of experiences actually confused me. I was raised by my father, who was a physicist. I grew up in a scientifically-oriented household. I remember saying to my father, Daddy, I can see molecules. And he took me to an electron microscope and showed me what molecules look like. And I got very anxious because then I knew I wasn't seeing molecules and I didn't understand what was happening to me. And I write in my book that I also grew up with a mother who had a severe case of MS. And so I watched her suffer and struggle and I was always asking the question, why? Why is it that one person is sick and one person is well and one family is wealthy and another family is poor? And I was trying to understand a deeper meaning of life and really struggled with my sensitivity until I was a freshman in college. And that is when I had my watershed event which was that my mother uh, came back and talked to me after she died. And uh, she had been in the spiritual world for two years. And the story actually is quite dramatic. I met my uh, brother's girlfriend at the time, and she put out her hand. I was just 19. And she said, is there anyone who's dead who you'd like to speak to? And I said, well, I don't know if I believe in life after death and said, but if I can, I'd like to speak with my mother. We went to her uh, one-room apartment in the village in New York, and she went into trance. And her cats jumped off the walls and ran into the bathroom. So I knew something was legitimate. And then I saw my mother's face superimposed over hers. And with great effort, my mother said, do not mourn for me. I chose what I endured to learn compassion for those who suffer. And she said, no matter how things appear, if you look deeply, you will see there are always reasons and there is justice. That was a profound message. And after that, everything changed for me. It was like a veil was lifted. And the first sentence in my book is, I always say, my mother gave me birth, and my mother gave me rebirth because after that, I could see that everyone was spirit temporarily on the earth. And we all had reasons for being here and lessons to learn. And very quickly after that, I started having lots of clairvoyant and clairaudient experiences. And, um, you know, I had to ask myself, how do I want to use this? Do I want to give messages from dead relatives? And... I didn't. I I came from an academic family, and pretty quickly I was interested in the deeper questions. What's the meaning of life? Who in the spiritual world is wiser than me? Who can teach me? And so this is what I opened up to. So I'd like to ask you, Ellen,
1: I I think, I I know that you share with us that you came in touch with what you call your guides. Yes. And I'm very interested in what that entailed. Who
2: are, do we all have guides and how did you discover your guides? I would say they came to me (laughs) rather than I was looking for them. Um, The first dramatic event was, um, I was recovering from the flu And at three in the morning, I woke up and there above me floating was an Asian man in etheric form. And, you know, we all know that our arms are not solid in, you know, junior high biology, or maybe kids learn earlier than that, that our arms are energy in motion. Our body is energy in motion. The table is energy in motion. Well, the etheric body is also energy in motion, but it's moving faster. So part of what clairvoyance is, is being able to see this faster moving energy. And so uh, this beautiful Asian being appeared to me and communicated through thought. And this was the beginning of having a lot of visitations. And um, people talk about the fact that you know seeing visions or hearing voices is a sign of mental illness, I just think people don't understand it, but I can tell you that the beings who contacted me were full of light and full of wisdom, and because I'm a scientist's daughter, I approached this all not as the truth, but as an experiment, <laughs> and I was very methodical and it's been decades now and their wisdom and their accuracy and their teachings have transformed my life and and many of my students as well so ellen
1: your experience of your guides were very explicit i mean you say that you actually saw this energy in 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 a kind of form and for for me i you know, I always hope that I have guides. <laughs> you know, I hope that they're there, and I I talk to them sometimes in, in a form of meditation or prayer, whatever you want to call it, some sort of communication or heart feeling in my heart of communicating. But I've never had that kind of assurance that you have. And I wonder if you could say something about that, because I think a lot of people... In my camp, so to speak.
2: Yes, yes. And I teach a lot of people how to have connection with their guides. And just as there's vision, which is external vision or internal vision, you know, the dramatic experiences at the beginning were external, which took away my skepticism. But internal vision is seeing images in one's mind's eye, which is perfectly legitimate. So my guides have said that the spiritual language is the language of subtlety. And that it's very common for the communication to be subtle. But we all have an impact, you know, um, I should say our guides do have an impact on our life. And one of my favorite stories about this is my father, who, who did scientific research, he told me when I was young, one of the things he'd do when he was starting a new project is he'd lie in bed He'd listen to classical music. Now, the classical music inspired him, which opened his crown chakra. And this is a prerequisite for accessing guides, an open crown chakra. It's the bridge from the material to the spiritual dimension. And it's opened with inspiration. And so my father sort of stumbled on it, that if he would lie down, listen to classical music, then he was opened. And then he said thoughts were given to him. And he said, I know they're not mine. He said, I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know if there's God or what it is, but I know they're given to me. And then he went to the library and researched them. So someone's in a shower. They think they're getting a good idea, and they should pay attention. Is it coming to them or coming from them?
1: When you say that, the word inspiration, that's the big one. And I know when you teach meditation, the beginning of meditation, you you teach that the first thing to do is to get ourselves
2: in a place of inspiration. Exactly, because the crown chakra and chakras. I, I'm wondering if your listening audience is familiar with chakras, but they're energy centers in the etheric body, and there's seven fundamental centers, and each one has a different purpose just like each of our organs have the the role they play in in keeping our body functioning the chakras have a role to play so the crown chakra or the golden halo in religious pictures is the crown chakra and this is the bridge from the material to the spiritual dimension. I call it the key to happiness chakra because when it's opened we feel glad to be alive and when it's closed that's what depression is. Depression is the aura in the crown chakra depresses versus being expanded and that is the feeling of of a dullness in living. So are you saying, Ellen,
1: that if it's closed then we are living primarily just on the material plane, just on, on this one channel. We get all the news and it's challenging and can be very depressing. There are wars and famines and climate change and and poverty and all sorts of things happening. And so if that chakra, that part of ourselves isn't open to another dimension, that I'll call it spiritual dimension that is beyond the material. Then we, our lives, as you say, might be depressed, and we're going to talk more about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with clairvoyant and author and teacher Ellen Tad, and she spells her last name T A D D. Ellen Tad, and she's the author of *The Infinite View* a guidebook for life on earth. And if you want to know about her work, you can go to her website, ellentad.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Ellen Tad. She spells her last name T-A-D-D. And she's the author of The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on Earth. And we've just been talking about the opening of that crown chakra or being in touch with the spiritual realm, that being open or closed.
2: If it's closed, it causes maybe depression. Can you say more about that, Ellen? Well, I had mentioned that the crown chakra is the center that I call the key to happiness chakra. And so let's say someone is inspired by a piece of music or a beautiful sunset. Then what happens is the crown opens and there's the feeling of connectedness. Even if the person doesn't believe in spiritual dimensions, the openness of the crown chakra makes you feel connected to life all around you. What happens when the crown closes often from discouragement or worry then there's a feeling of isolation or feeling disconnected and so opening the crown chakra is wonderful for quality of life but it's also wonderful because it's the key to accessing the spiritual dimension and i find that you know the big challenge with it is what do we trust because Little children are born with open crown chakras. They trust and they trust so much they'll go home with a stranger. So it's dangerous without learning wisdom and discernment. And what happens, unfortunately, is a lot of people as they age start to feel, well, life isn't trustworthy because cruel things happen or they're not always treated fairly. So the important question to ask is what can we trust? We can't trust that everyone will always be nice to us, but we can trust that we're here on the earth to learn how to actualize our best self in the midst of adversity. No matter what that is, yes.
1: Yes. yes. We were talking earlier about inspiration. And I, I think of a story that you tell in your book that really illustrates a way for us to change channels, so to speak, if things are going badly for us in a day. And we get kind of immersed in that and how we can pull ourselves out of that. And you talk about being late for a meeting and you actually, and you this was before cell phones, so you couldn't let your friends know. And then you have a flat <laughs> yes. tire.
2: Oh, yes. Now I know which story you mean. I was driving. And I was on my way to meet friends for dinner and unexpectedly I got a flat tire and I needed to change it. So I was on the side of the road changing my tire and it was before cell phones and I was going to be late. And But I noticed that the sky was beautiful and that the sun was starting to set and the colors. And so the ability to hold the inspiration of the beauty of the sky helped me to appreciate that moment in the midst of the challenge of having to change the tire and being late. And so I like the idea of reaching out for inspiration, that in the moments that things are not going so well, we can look around, we can think about what inspires us? Because that can help carry us in this feeling of uh, expansion rather than getting caught in discouragement. Right, exactly.
1: So we've talked a bit about the crown chakra. I want to come down and talk about the third eye. And not everybody understands what the third eye, that's, that's an Eastern term for the chakra that Yes, buddy, right in the middle it's pointing to her forehead. Yes. Now, I I want to say something about that because I think it, if if we use another term for that like our inner vision maybe deeper wisdom. But I love that. I love correlating it with vision because it's it's around our eyes and our eyes are visual they're looking they're seeing. So this is seen in with a great deal of depth. That's, that's how I
2: think of that particular energy center. Well, I became interested in the chakras because I wanted to understand why people were so lopsided in their development. Some people are very astute in certain parts of their life and then very immature in others. I call them PhD kindergartners. And <laughs> so... I I sometimes would get blindsided. And so I started watching chakras and I didn't read books on the subject. If you Google chakras, I think there's over 500 books written about them. It's a huge topic, Um, but I didn't read them. I just clairvoyantly watched people's energy centers for a couple of decades. I actually wrote a little book on it called The Wisdom of the Chakras about my conclusions. And one of the most important things I discovered is that where people focus impacts how they perceive. And how people perceive informs what they feel and how they feel informs what they do. And so I started experimenting with my clients where I would have them focus in the gut and I would talk them through a scenario. Then I'd have them focus out of the middle of their forehead and talk them through the same scenario And the difference was astonishing. People would go from anxiety to calm. People would go from confusion to clarity. People would go from uncertainty to certainty. Can you give an example of that? Um, Sure. There's so many. Um, Well, I just gave a lecture last night, and I walked the audience through the solar plexus third eye exercise. And I had people focus on imagining that they're late for an important appointment. And in the solar plexus, pretty consistently, people felt anxious or they felt rushed, they felt stress. And when they moved to the middle of their forehead and looked at the same scenario, invariably people felt acceptance, that in the scheme of life, this isn't such a big deal. They calmed down and they got there when they could. So the where they focused informed the quality of their experience. And my guides who really taught me this said, it's a pivot away. You pivot how you're focused and it changes how you perceive. I love to quote my son when I taught him this exercise in He was in high school. He said, when you live life in the solar plexus, you experience the human condition from the human perspective, and it's a tragedy. When you live your life focused out of the third eye or the middle of your forehead, you experience the human condition from a spiritual perspective. And it's very interesting. He didn't Mm -hmm. say it was easy. He said it was interesting.
1: interesting. Now, if you're functioning out of that place It's not an avoidance of what's going on in the world. It's not that that you can call it spiritual bypass. You're not bypassing anything by functioning there. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yes. So what causes spiritual bypass is an open crown chakra without the third eye. So the crown is the the center of spirituality, but the third eye is all about integration. It's all about attention to detail from a spiritual vantage point. In sports, they call it the zone. And I've worked with high performing athletes, helping them to develop their third eye focus and their game gets better. That's great. I love that. So it's, it's, you do attend to
1: detail but you're doing it from a larger place. That's um, right. Yeah. And with help also. I mean <laughs> there's another story I love that you tell, um, and it's again about your son. And you said he did an experiment. I I think he was in high school at the time. Graduate school, Oh, he was in graduate school where he
2: did, he functioned out of his third eye for a whole day. Yes. So can can you
1: describe (laughs) his
2: day? Yes. You know, I just want to say, I thought I was going to be a child psychologist before I had a spiritual awakening. And so as I... Started having these multi dimensional experiences, I still was always seeing how it applied to my children. So, their stories are woven through my book. Um, so, my son was in graduate school in Boston, and you know, he knows his mom's philosophy, and so he's always testing it to see what he thinks because he's an independent thinker, which is a good thing. And so he decided, he didn't tell me this till after the fact, but he decided he was going to practice staying focused out of his forehead all day. My guides say, when you open two eyes, open three. So it's a posture. You focus out of the middle of your forehead and you look out of your eyes. So he was walking and he was focused in his third eye. And from his third eye, had a strong impulse to get on the bus. And so at the next stop, he got on the bus and he rode the bus looking out of his third eye. And when he got to the Boston Public Library, he was compelled from his third eye to get off the bus. So he got off the bus and then he walked up the stairs. And at the top of the stairs was an older Chinese gentleman. And my son um, is fluent in Mandarin. And so he started talking to this man and um it ended up that this man uh, was a fairly well-known calligrapher, had lost his translator, felt a kind of, you know, you know, I think afraid in Boston without his translator. So my son ended up becoming his translator for his calligraphy classes. And um, and that was a fun experience for my son and it really helped this man out. And, and I loved the story because When we learn to live life looking through our forehead, we start attuning with something deeper than our conscious mind of what we want, and we get guided in the most remarkable ways. And so I I love that story. I love that story, too,
1: and that's so connected to a story for you about how your son even got to learn uh, Mandarin. And that was when your guides, when you went to into your forehead, your guides, and got information about what school for your son to go to in high school. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah. it, was,
2: it was, well, it was, we were, we were trying to figure out what college he was gonna go to. He was in high school. And so we'd been, you know, we live in the Northeast and we were driving around to all these different schools and I was tired. And I finally said to my guide, hey, just tell me, where is he going to go, will you? (laughs) And um, I heard a direct voice that said that my son would go to the very same college my next client attended. And of course, I wouldn't have made that up. That was definitely a guided message. So my client walked in with her friend and I said, so hi, Mary, where'd you go to college? (laughs) And she later told me that was an odd greeting. But uh, her friend, uh, she told me where she went to college. It was one of the schools on my son's list. And her friend said, oh, she knows the Dean of Admissions. She'll she'll, uh, talk to the Dean about your Son. <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk
1: more about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners I'm here with Ellen Tad. She's the author of The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on earth. And if you want to know more about her information, you can go to our website EllenTad.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine willis toms You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Ellen Tad. She's a clairvoyant and the author of The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on Earth. So, I'd like to to talk about the you mention in your work that we have three parts to our identity: the spirit, soul, and personality. I'd love for you to give us a flavor of those three parts and how they integrate.
2: Yes. So this again is information that I was taught through through my relationship with my guides. I can't take credit for its wisdom, uh, but I've learned the accuracy of it. So what I've been taught is that everyone has an internal spirit, and they define spirit as a spark of the God force. This is our enlightened self. This is the part of our nature that is constant, that never changes or evolves. And one really interesting aspect of this is that each spirit has an individual emphasis. We're not identical, even at this deepest level. One spirit may emphasize creativity, another, nurturing, another, wisdom. Whatever our particular spiritual emphasis is, it doesn't change. It goes from one life to the next and from one dimension to the next. So I call this our individual instrument in the orchestra of life. And then over. The spirit is the container it's the soul and some people use these terms interchangeably but my guides are quite clear that the soul is the container of the spirit and it's very complicated it contains all of our past life patterns traumas talents fears skills all of the many experiences we've had in the reincarnation process And in the soul, there's a concept that they call first error or the original attitude that was not in harmony with our spiritual nature. So, you know, in Christianity, they call it original sin, this original imbalance. But what I found in my own work is that it's not the same for everyone. We have our own brand of fear, our own brand of confusion. And so this is the beginning of a uh, disconnection from our spirit. And when we incarnate, we're guided towards families and circumstances that bring up our particular drama to help us learn and evolve. And then over the soul is our personality, our persona in the world, which is influenced by genetics, conditioning from parents, society, education, our environment, past life influences, and then influence from the spiritual essence. My guides teach that fulfillment comes from actualizing our spiritual nature at the personality level. And this is key because we're taught that fulfillment comes from getting what we want. And I think it's a terrible setup because I don't know anyone who gets everything they want. And what that does is it breeds an unhappy culture, a dissatisfied culture. But if we change the definition of happiness to my guide's definition, which is the actualization of our spiritual nature, then what becomes most important is how are we manifesting ourselves rather than what happens to us. That's that's very clear, and uh, it just brings me
1: to the thought about about destiny and choice that we might have. So, if you could say something about destiny, that things are pre-planned for us. If you say like, all right, so we're we're born into this family, and so we have a kind of destiny there, or do do we have a choice? How much choice do we have? Uh, if you can give some examples of that,
2: I have a chapter on the relationship between destiny and choice. And I actually think for myself, that is the most interesting question of all. What is destiny and what is choice? Um, you know, in some spiritual circles, the the thought is, or that the idea is we can create our own reality. In other spiritual circles, the idea is life is destined. Well, what my guides say is that we have a combination of both, and that some people have more destiny in their life than others, and some people have more choice. And that depends on what we're here to contribute and what we're here to learn, and I I use the word attunement. Attunement is aligning our conscious mind with our spirit. And when we attune through the deep focus of the third eye or deep listening, a meditative state, we know whether we need to simply just go with something because we just have to accept it or whether we should initiate change because we can create a very different circumstance. So I think this is a place where people often get confused. I've known people who wait around for their destiny and it doesn't happen. And I've known people who try to take charge and try to control things. And it's really um, a process of deep listening and deep focus. I have a variety of stories that I tell in that chapter to illustrate the combination of possibilities. Uh, Please share one of
1: those stories with us now that, that would be helpful to us.
2: Well, the beginning of this chapter... I tell a really powerful story for me about my daughter. Um, This is what got me to really meditate on the relationship between destiny and choice. It was my daughter's 10th birthday, and we were out in town shopping for birthday um, party favors and things, and I was running late, and a lot of children were coming to our house at a certain time, and I had to get ready, and... I heard a Audent voice, my guide saying, stop at that restaurant for lunch. And I was so startled because I'm running late. I, I didn't think I had the luxury to stop to have lunch at a restaurant, but it was a very strong voice. It was a directive. It wasn't a suggestion, I could tell. So we did. We stopped at this restaurant. I went into the ladies' room to wash my hands, and there on the wall was a poster of the Heimlich maneuver. And I read it Which while I Which if my somebody's hands.
1: choking what you do.
2: That's right. It's um, a maneuver of um, abdominal thrusts that help to dislodge what's blocking the windpipe. And uh, I'd never, you know, I don't think I think the Heimlich maneuver was fairly new in that period, but anyway, we went we went home, ate quickly, went home. When in the middle of the party, the kids were uh, having fun, you know, at the dining room table, eating cake and ice cream, and I was in the kitchen, washing dishes, and I suddenly felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around, and it was my daughter turning blue. I immediately turned her around and did the Heimlich maneuver and saved her life. And I know my personality. If I hadn't just read that poster, I would have gotten afraid. But I had just read this poster. I went into automatic pilot. I did the Heimlich maneuver. I didn't have any anxiety. I didn't have any thought. I just did it. And so after that, I started having meditations and conversations with my guides. Was that destined? Mm Mm-hmm. And if it's destined, is everything destined? And this is when they started to explain to me about the relationship between destiny and choice. I also have some stories in my book where we manifest situations that we are able to create our own reality. So sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. And knowing the difference is one of the great keys to wisdom. And the third eye helps with that discernment. So you're saying there is some destiny and there
1: is some choice. Exactly. Slack. I mean, we want it to be black and white and up and down.
2: and Then it's f- easy. Yeah. The fact is it takes deep listening and deep focus and wisdom to be able to discern that difference. And so uh, I think people have a tendency to want broad generalizations because it's, it's easier to follow. But life really doesn't work that way. Well, it's exhausting, you know. It's it's it seems to
1: take less energy if it's just sort of set down as okay. This rule will always apply, and then we don't have to think about it anymore. But but to but it con- leads to mistakes. Yes, it does. That would lead <laughs> to mistakes if 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 it's not true. If that rule is not true and does not apply to to all cases,
2: then yes, I know that we'd prefer it. My guides have a great phrase. They, they've corrected me endlessly. And one of the things they say is, Ellen, pay attention. What is universal and what is unique? And don't make that which is unique universal because it leads to problems.
1: That's a wonderful thought to ponder, uniqueness and universal and how we take uniqueness and we try to make it, it universal. Apply it like it's going to and you can see that everywhere. You see that in politics, you see that in mm-hmm. communities, you see that in so many places. That's very, very uh powerful, a powerful thing. And you know, you've been talking a lot about deep listening. And you even said something in the early part of our conversation about the the kind of listening that that may be speaking to us can be quite subtle. Mm-hmm. And so, what is your suggestion to us about listening for that kind of guidance that we can trust?
2: Yes. Um, well, I teach a meditation technique. I often say my absolute best skill is I know how not to think. (laughs) I just know how to turn off my brain and not think for long periods of time, which is what makes me receptive. Um, So I teach a meditation technique in my book. And, you know, meditation is now a very common word. In our culture, but it means different things to different people. And many times people teach meditation, and I see it as a relaxation technique, which is wonderful, but to me, it's not real meditation. To me, meditation is the ability to turn off the brain chatter and just not think, and listen deeply. So I teach meditation as an X, and the bottom part of the X is everyday thought. The point in the center is stillness. And the upper part of the X is why I meditate. It's revelation, it's connection to the spirit within and without. It's accessing uh, knowledge in ways that go beyond the analytical mind, and so the steps I teach is the first step is use inspiration to open the crown. My quote, actually by Emily Dickinson, that I brought to you is is a, a quote about opening the top of the head. So, um, inspiration to open the crown. And just uh, just say the quote, then our, our listeners Should will I? yeah will well, we'll want to hear that quote from. Okay, I um. I grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts, where Emily Dickinson was from, so she was always a part of my, my uh, life. So this is something she wrote in a letter. It says, if I read a book and it makes my whole body so cold no fire can warm me, I know that is poetry. If I feel physically as if the top of my head were taken off, I know that is poetry. These are the only ways I know it. And I love that she said, if I feel physically as if the top of my head were taken off, that is the feeling of an open crown chakra. That is the feeling that inspiration has opened the crown, and that is poetry. And that's the first part, that
1: inspiration of your teaching meditation. And we'll talk about the other parts in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Ellen Tad she spells her last name T A D D Ellen Tad she's a clairvoyant and she's the author of The Infinite View a guidebook for life on earth I'm Justine Willis Toms you're listening to New Dimensions I'm here with clairvoyant Ellen Tad, and she's the author of The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on earth. And her other books include The Wisdom of the Chakras, Tools for Navigating the Complexity of Life. And also you, you did a book, Death and Letting Go. Ellen, we're talking about the way that you teach meditation and what that means to you. And you had talked about there, it's an X on the bottom of the X and the middle of the X and the top of the X. And we've just talked about the first part to start with inspiration. Yes.
2: What's the next part? An affirmation, a positive, affirmative statement. So rather than going right to no thinking, one thought, one positive thought, I usually... Suggest people say, I am spirit, I am infinite spirit. As a reminder, I am spirit, infinite spirit. Although another affirmation would do. And then in a kind of lilting or rocking sensation, the affirmation a few times, then hold your mind still. Then the affirmation, then hold your mind still. And gradually elongate the period of time that you can hold your mind still. If brain chatter comes in, Go back to the affirmation and work the muscle back and forth, gradually elongating the pause until you can learn to hold the pause longer and longer. You know,
1: Ellen, that is so, I'm so glad that you described that. That is so helpful. Uh, I use a mantra, but I haven't used it where I go back and forth, and sometimes I can. St- my mind gets really quiet at certain times and other times I'm not successful. So that's a technique that you're helping me to say, okay, fine, it's okay to use a mantra. Then stop and let it go for a little bit and see how long you can do it. That's right.
2: And so a mantra is another way of saying an affirmation. Yes, yes. So exactly. Yes, very nice, very nice. And
1: then the longer you can just be in that place of calm, calm, no thought, then that's where that, in, that
2: voice can come in, that inspiration or that wisdom. Or So once you have the skill, it's kind of like reading. Mm-hmm. Once you have the skill of reading, you can read a lot of different books. Once you have the skill of holding your mind still at will you can direct the meditation in many many different ways so you can sit down and ask for insight about a specific problem and go into silence and see what happens or you can ask to um you know be rejuvenated in a time of fatigue and you go and you sit in that stillness and you draw on the energy that comes from the spiritual world so you can use that as as starting point and directed in many many ways that are practical and also profound i'd like to talk about colors
1: and about i call it remote viewing but you call it something else what is it do you projecting consciousness projecting consciousness so if we want to help somebody or we want to see someone uh, you talk about how we can send healing light to them. Can can you talk about that?
2: Yes. So one of the basic concepts is that our consciousness is not just contained within our body. You know, um, there's a lot of interest now in the brain And, you know, the brain to me is, of course, extremely important to keep healthy. But I know from having out-of-body experiences that when my brain is still in my body, my consciousness leaves the body. And because I've conversed with people in the spiritual world, I know that their consciousness exists even after their body has died. So um, sometimes I think of the brain as the hardware and the mind as the software. And so um, one of the points I try to make in the book is that our consciousness is not confined within our body. It can be stretched. And so, you know, I can stretch my consciousness to where someone is and feel how they're doing or get insight into them. Um, And I actually use this skill every day. I'm always stretching my consciousness to get information and we all do it but a lot of people don't realize what they're doing and what I am always interested in is clarifying what the technique is so it can be used at will. And so we can stretch our consciousness to receive knowledge but we also can be a positive influence. Every time we think about someone, that thought goes to them. If it's a worried thought, that worry goes to them. If it's a loving thought, that loving thought goes to them. Because we are all interconnected and consciousness is not contained just within the it's body it's pervasive isn't it it's pervasive and so understanding the power of this i tell the story in my book of being in my flower garden and having a wonderful day and my guide coming to you to i'm sorry to me and saying um do you realize that you are touching all of life with your enjoyment and so when we're unhappy when we're happy we are always having an impact in our environment and just as other people impact us. So um, using light is a tool that I use quite a bit. Um, I discovered it when I had a colicky baby and I would send the visualization of golden light to help her to stop crying. And so I learned the visualization of light can be used as a tool to calm people to bring clarity, it's a diagnostic tool. I have many stories, and when I teach this in class, people can't get a smile off their face because the feeling of golden light feels good. What would you say, though,
1: If do we have permission to send healing energy to someone? Or I guess you could also use it for, for, for
2: not such... A, high high things and bad things you know well the fact is that every time we think about someone we are having an impact energetically anyway. every time you think about someone do you have to ask their permission may i think about you it's just the facts we are always energetically either supporting people's well-being or making it more difficult by every thought and feeling we have. So, by choosing a positive, energetic support, I don't believe we need to ask permission. But um, I do feel that when you when because I understand karma, which is cause and effect. And because I believe in reincarnation, I know that life keeps an accurate scorecard and that no one really gets away with anything. So if you use an energetic tool for selfish reasons, there's ramifications for that. Right, right, exactly.
1: So that's well said. Thank you for clarifying that. There's one exercise that you have that you do. And I thought it was very powerful. And that was um, having the people that you're with, if you're with a group of people in a workshop situation, to go inside and find out what is my deepest fear and what is my
2: deepest desire? And what is the purpose of that exercise? Well, earlier in our interview, I talked about the spirit, the soul, and the personality and also the concept of first error that's in the soul. So when people want to understand what's my spiritual emphasis or what is my first error, which is this deepest confusion, I often talk about the relationship between fear and desire, that what we most fear is linked to our first error and what we most desire is linked to our spiritual nature. And having taught Classes on this topic, we don't all have the same deepest desire, and we do not all have the same deepest fear. For example, someone whose deepest desire is to be loved, their spiritual emphasis is probably about love, and their deepest fear is that they won't be loved. And so what I've found in this relationship is that what we most desire and what we most fear is the same thing in that... um you know, that it's the opposite side. And so the more we diminish our fear, the more we actualize our desire. So if if we understand our deepest desire,
1: and this is not like a desire for a new car, a new house, or more money or anything, but this is like a deep spiritual desire. At you, our you, core. At our core. If we really get down there and find that, we can probably figure out what that early error it was in our life because it's it's somehow connected to what we also fear.
2: Yes, so the deepest desire is linked to your spiritual nature. The deepest fear is linked to your first error and there's always a relationship between the two. So one
1: would would kind of lead to the other, the the it, it there it's a route. Yes. To manifesting your, your, it's an antidote. So, the antidote to fear.
2: So, my example is that my spiritual nature is wisdom, and my deepest fear is really the fear of ignorance and the ramification of ignorance. So, my ignorance or other people's. So, the more, so my guides say, walk toward your fear and you'll walk through it. So it's not
1: avoiding that fear. Oh, goodness. Uh, I I just want to say, Ellen, I thank you so much for being with us today. We could talk about so much more. And I hope that people will pick up your book and, and go to your website and find out more. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It really was a pleasure. Thank you. I've been speaking with Ellen Tad Clairvoyant and the author of The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on Earth. She spells her last name T A D D. Ellen Tad and her website is ellentad.com or you can get there through the New Dimensions website newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
0: New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine willis Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson.